Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we go over the absolutely horrific map that I drew uh, for this brand new world that we're creating. And I believe I came up with a pretty cool history as to why this world exists. And uh, we go over some of the different tools that uh, Jimmy is also using and uh, to help us build this world and dive more into what makes the game feel real in terms of conflicts and NPCs. All right, Jim. So I took the week. And it definitely wasn't enough time because I dived into some of those tools that uh, we linked into the last episode. And boy, mm. howdy, are they in depth. And this is what it reminded me of. Um, so I don't know. Have you ever played The Sims for oh, yeah. the PC? Yeah, back in the so, day when it first came out. Yeah. Yeah. So I probably logged a good two, three hundred hours playing The Sims, but it wasn't actually playing the game. I was literally just building houses and then downloading like wallpaper and um couches and TVs and whirlpools and all kinds of dumb stuff uh just so I can build this stupid Sims house and then when I when it was built to my perfection I would completely delete it and start all over. That's exactly how I felt about building these maps. So it sounds um, like you were using incarnate. Oh yes. So the map I made uh for the most part is trash. Um uh, and that was because um I realized after like working on it for about 45 minutes that there's just no way I would have enough time to put together exactly what I wanted. So what I did was uh, was just created a very small subsection of where I thought um, kind of the game would take place, at least initially. Your first and town. I kind of, what's that? Your first town. Right. So, and I kind of, uh, and I built it based on what my history slash Genesis was, which is the following. Because uh, you made a comment about all the weird shit that uh, I've come up with in the past. So I try not to go too off the rails uh, for you <laughs> and our listeners. Um, but, so the history goes that um, a, a subsect of people, say about 50 or so, um, have been basically having to move. Uh, from location to location because they've run out of natural resources. Um, you know, just not enough wood, not enough gold, not enough whatever. Um, until they come across this very interesting little area that is tied behind a grouping of dead trees. And when they come across this place, they come. there's a lot of mountainous areas and hills and that kind of thing. And in, um, in the mountains, uh, the mountainside, they find a cave... And when they discover uh, what's inside the cave is basically what is, um, for lack of a better term, a perpetual moving fan that's about 10 feet wide and 10 feet high. It's constantly moving uh, and spinning. Nothing. They don't know where the source of energy is coming from to move this fan. Um, It's just like built into the side of the inside this cave with this giant mountain. Uh, And they find all this intricate uh, metalwork. That is being um, branching off of this giant perpetual fan. Um, And they realized that uh, the group of people who lived here before them was using this fan uh, as their source of energy. So throughout this entire, um, which is now ruins, which I put like a little subsect of ruins there on the right hand side of the map. If you're looking at it, Mm -hmm. Um, 
that is what is left of the original people here. Um, they don't know what happened to these people, uh, but they do know that this fan works great when it comes to, you know, powering. Um, so it's like a windmill. Basically, yeah. Um, so they've built their. So what they what took them, you know, three, four, five hundred years to build up uh, in previous locations, they've been able to do in fifty years. Uh, because of this perpetual motion windmill. And that's where your game starts is 50 years And that's after. where the game starts. Cool. Okay, yeah. Nice job. Um, I would... Uh, and it sounds like you don't really need a world map because you've isolated it down to a smaller area where there's interesting lore. Um, it sounds like larger parts of the world might be dead anyhow. So there's... You've created a world with limited resources like trees, fresh water, um, stuff like that. Is that correct? Right. So that was going to be my first question was um, like, I understand that how important both of these things are, the history, the map, all of that it makes the, makes the world feel more tangible mm -hmm. uh, to a player. I get that. Um, but is there a a right and wrong when it comes to should we build the map first should we have the history first because clearly i came up with the genesis before i even decided to build the map because the map is now based on what the genesis is is there a right way of doing it is there a wrong way there's no wrong way um what you've done is fine and you've created a, your own unique feel already in just a few sentences and an, uh, an interesting small map um the reason I would say it's important to do your genesis, genesis and map at the same time or early on is so that you can place resources and so that you can say, well, this certain king controls this region, which is um, where most of the, the ore comes from. And this certain king controls this region, which has all this natural timber. And this certain king controls this region, you know, and so on and so forth. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> Which gives reasons to fight, reasons to trade, reasons to do all sorts of real world. To create conflicts and conflict. alliances. Yeah. Yep. That's that's the next big thing. The conflict. It sounds like that you've already chosen kind of a conflict, um, being like us versus the world. Right. So I'm going to imagine you're going to have some pretty fierce bad guys, orcs, trolls, gnolls, whatever the case may be. Um, also vying for uh, for control of some of these resources. Right, yeah, and I also thought that it would be in, an interesting idea to do something like a um, uh, more of like a like a political intrigue style where there'd be separate sub, uh, sects of groups within the town itself about what they should be doing with this, you know, this windmill. For sure. Uh, should they you know, be renting it out to, you know, like local areas. Should they keep it to themselves? That kind of thing. For sure. Yeah. Um, and an interesting thing that you've sparked in my mind, because I'm constantly um, creating in my mind as well, is um, why, why is the world this way? Why is it so barren? Were there, were there other people that lived here before? It sounds like it. Um, how long ago was it? We can go a little bit further back. The genesis of these people is pretty simple but if we go back before all of that what do you know that the players may never know um have orcs stripped the world of its natural resources and were they the first people um and did they ruin themselves and they're just clinging on to existence as well or was there some other race of people here before 
Um, and this is stuff that's not important to current gameplay, except for they might find clues like this really cool fan that is um, kind of tied back to prehistory of what, mm, okay. what we know. And I know you've seen a lot of that in my world where there's lots of things that seem a little confusing at first, but we just kind of accept it for what it is. And then you see related things that, again, a little confusing, don't really understand it, but it seems inexorably tied to this other confusing thing. Next thing you know, after a few of those come to play, we can surmise, oh, wow, there, this, there was another race of people here, and this is what they had done. Right. So that's yeah. So that's it's kind of the idea of um, uh, of the mountain. You know, you you only want your players to see the top of the mountain, where there's definitely more underneath. uh, For whatever reason, you may need it. Absolutely, yeah. So you've given yourself a lot to think about with that as well. So with all of those pieces in place, it'll be really good to move to the next step, which is like we just talked about conflicts. Where okay. where are the large conflicts? You've already talked about um, internal conflicts in this town or city or settlement. Um, <clears throat> so you would have different unique factions. And just say a little bit about them. You don't have to get too in-depth. Maybe give them a leader, um, a mission, or a uh, thought process, an ideology. <clears throat> and then outside conflict as well. Um, surviving here what you know how hard is it to survive based on the monsters based on the weather based on what the world is doing Um, are the seasons normal is time normal is everything normal Um, and by normal you mean like normal as what we would consider normal as just regular human beings on earth correct you know okay there there may be some small thing you do that turns out to be really big and don't go too crazy with it because if you go too crazy and you create this really airy really like alien world it can be difficult to gain a sense of immersion in that it's important to link back to things we understand and know like so having a world that's just like earth is okay because it's easy to gain immersion in that type of world that's why you don't see um too many worlds that have long days or um different types of seasons that are weird and these other things like with with the water in the sky like in my world you know that was the only thing that was really different a 10-day week and water in the sky everything else like literally everything else was just like our world except for you had to kind of figure out how everything related to water having the anti-gravity effect so it was a constant and that in fact it was a little much right at times for some players, it was hard to relate to and hard to remember when I get a mug filled with water, it's not a mug at all. It's like a round um, vessel with a bubble on top, and then you tilt it forward and water comes up to your mouth through like a spout. Right. So that was, that was you know, I was constantly having to remind people that water f- flows up. And then it was, well, what does... If I made Kool-Aid, would, is it still water? Or is it now Kool-Aid? Does it, does it have weight to it? And so there was all kinds of weird questions to answer. If you're not okay with answering tons of questions like that, don't get too wild. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, because then even you can kind of get lost in the details where, you know, it 
it may just be obviously you know the water being in the sky was a big ordeal that was a that was a super important thing but it was what 90 percent of the time we weren't too terribly concerned about it you know what i mean right it was more to create a sense of uh an alien world and you know would i change it if i would never create that world again you know um, oh really okay um it was more of a headache for me in the long run but it was really great for the players um because everyone started to really relate to it after a number of sessions or a number of years and it got to the point where the dark gritty feel with the water in the sky obviously it's blocking out the rays of light from the the sun above so it's always gray and desolate and dark and dirty because water is a resource it's a lot more valuable than before baths aren't the same as what we're used to um so it, it created a really unique feel that i could have never foreseen not mm. when i decided to do it this way i got lucky a little bit um the players latched on to it asked the right questions created a neat world and people wanted to play in it um but just sure. don't go you know if you go too wonky you can be setting up a i can't relate type situation or nothing but questions that you have to field right. every it super single distracting. time you play yeah. yes it becomes a distraction so you mentioned conflicts um and I know we mentioned a little bit of it. Would you say like there, uh, it'd be good to have like say like a varying degree of conflict. Like um, when you go about writing conflicts for your world, just like general conflicts, maybe not uh, conflicts for your characters or your players to accomplish that day of the game, uh, but just like general uh, conflicts. Like where do you kind of start with that idea? Um, I start with the basics of necessity. Um, we know that humankind creates its own conflict here on earth rather easily. Um, now imagine, you know, and a different color skin makes that conflict, unfortunately expounded upon greatly just because someone looks different than me, you know, that that's humans have that nature to fear what they don't know. Right. And so now we throw other races with pointy ears races that are much bigger or races that are much shorter into the equation and it's you know, in the D, D world it's super easy to create natural conflict and that's what it is it's a natural conflict um do dwarves overly protect their minds well sure they do and you can even use kind of the uh stereotypical um since the beginning of D D, or even further back go all the way back to lord of the rings where this kind of feel of humans elves dwarves halflings came from and use the the same old school conflicts that we've always seen dwarves don't really like elves that much because they're thin and weak elves don't really like humans that much because they're they're short-lived and they don't have uh, foresight into the greater good um, they tend to build structures that don't last, and and so on and so forth. It's easy to draw upon those stereotypical conflicts. So you can decide how true are those things in your world, as well as are the resources freely traded or are they fought over, um, you know. And that and you've already got a really cool, like extra degree of that with this generator that's there in your world. 
Right. Yeah. So I thought um, because, I mean, you could the thing I was thinking was, is um, what's behind this generator? What's behind this windmill? Because obviously there'd be something behind it. It just wouldn't be. Well, I guess it could be. I guess it could just be into the side of this, like the inside of this mountain, and it's just constantly moving. But I mean, you, you could even go as far as like just what's on the other side of, the, of this mountain range that nobody really knows about, and you can kind of peer through it, you know. Yeah, they've only been here fifty years. So if um, now the natural order of things is uh, humanoids, they tend to explore. Um, so where have they explored? And that's going to be your next step in mapping a much larger map because people do map out the areas that they live in. They always have. Um, so how much how much of that do you have to do next? And it's not necessarily something you have to do right away, but it's something you're going to have to do before you get too deep into a campaign. Um, right. Like we talked about in the last uh, the last episode, are you containing them here in this town? And do they want to stay in this town? The players, I mean. Um, are they going to try to move on rather quickly? Is this is it something they're not that interested in? Maybe the generator doesn't even grab them right away. Um, those are all oh, things to think about. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, it's inevitable. And I've seen hilarious memes about this where you walk into a tavern and you see... A guy with an eye patch. He's got a mohawk, a great sword bejeweled with rubies slung over his back, and a bandolier with all these different crazy weapons that you've never seen before, somewhat dagger-like. Uh, is there anybody else in the bar? All uh, right. There's a halfling named Gordo. Let's go talk to Gordo. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's that's bound to happen. Uh, it may happen for you. It may not. But you need a contingency plan there. What's what? You know what more is there? That's why it's nice to have kind of an extended map. Um, and you know, I I went ahead and started creating a map as well. I use the Asgars. Um, okay. And it randomly generates uh, a continent. And so I I just clicked through it through it a few times until I found one I liked and. Uh, it, it literally took me five minutes. So I now have this continent map that I'm going to kind of build along with you. And um, I can send that to you as well. So you can post both of the maps in the notes below. And um, we can move forward with that. And if you'd like, you can use the continent map that, that I've made for your world. If uh, you don't want to do more. And it never has to be something that's mapped by the people that live in your world. But just so you know where things are. It could be that sort of thing. Oh, okay. So that when they idea. when they travel south, you know it's there. You don't have to make it up on the fly. Because we tend to be short-sighted and one-dimensional. Well, not everyone does. If you have a natural gift for um, just winging it and throwing it out there, that's fine. But, you know, it's nice to know what's next. Is there a river? Um, and it doesn't feel too off the cuff for your players if you have something like that. Okay, so in terms of so thinking of different conflicts, um, I guess it, it sounds like I kind of need to create like an overarching conflict, um, maybe more of an immediate conflict, and then maybe a conflict that's kind of always been there um, that mm -hmm. kind of maybe fuels the 
uh, the I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, um, that kind of like uh, changes the history of the this town. I guess does that make sense? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Conflict. So you're also going to need NPCs, you know, leaders for these different factions in your town. Um, that's always a good place to start. Who lives next door? You know, what kind of people live in this town? Is it elves mostly? Is it humans mostly? Is there a mix? Are there halflings here? Um, you know, what does your world look like as far as all of the different races are concerned? Um, those are things to think about. You just can allow everything from 5th edition to be involved in your world. So Dragonborn, um, uh, Asimar, you know, we can go on and on. Tabaxi. Are these all things that you want? Are you going to limit it to a certain book? Um, and why? You know, think about that type of stuff too. <clears throat> and then get into NPCs, make leaders for factions, maybe a mayor for the town or um, somebody that runs the inn or the tavern. Um, if there is an inn, that's something to think about with your city because where do people travel from? And where are they traveling to? Why do they stop here to sleep? Maybe you don't have an inn. Maybe that doesn't make sense for your game to have a tavern or an inn where people can stay the night. Um, not in this town anyway, it doesn't sound like. Because it sounds like there's not anything for a, a long way. Nothing um, that's settled. But maybe there is. So those are things to think about as well. Yeah, that's that's a good point because, like, in, initially I was thinking that this this group of people would just be, um, they would just you know they're trying to survive basically, so they're moving because they have the need to move to survive, and then they just catch a lucky break, um, finding this new location. But it's kind of shrouded in the secrecy and then this strange machine that they don't technically understand, but they see how it works, you know. So there would have to be, so obviously there would already be internal conflict from there, but then this would all, all of that would have stemmed well before, you know, players would come and play in this world, unless if they're either part of that initial discovery of this area, um, or they're a traveling band, which again, like you said, why would they be traveling in this area? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um. Those are all viable questions. Sorry, I was bringing something up here. Um, no, you're fine. I'm just thinking out loud, too, because, um, I mean, right there, you're going to have two factions of people. You're going to have the, the those that want to stay here and then just survive, and then you're going to have the ones that are, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a religious type, thinking that maybe the place is haunted or evil or because where did the original people go and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, that's gonna, and that's going to really give you some colorful NPCs to generate. Um, you know, I was going to, I don't know if this is going to help you or not, but I was going to recommend a tavern generator. If uh, okay. it's called <clears throat> not another tavern generator. And this is at the cop. <laughs> nice. This is at a website I found called the copter, the copper sanctum. And we'll put that link into the, uh, comments below. Um, and it gives you some really interesting, uh, like it'll name the tavern for you, give you a bartender, what they look like, how they act, accommodations, food and drink, um, and really 
uh, give you a lot of things to uh, to think about. And you can uh, change the neighborhood. Is it upper class, lower class? Um, is the owner a common type person? Are they uncommon? Are they exotic? Are they distrusted? Um, the atmosphere, is it subdued, ruckus? Uh, or the menu selection, is it sparse or excessive? So it gives you a lot of really neat things to think to, to, that you don't have to think too much about. Um, and it's, it's really a neat, a neat uh, tavern generator. And even if you don't use what's there, you can use it for inspiration. True. Okay. So I need to kind of come up with some conflicts. Now, in terms of NPCs, uh, how in-depth at this point of the world building would you go into creating these NPCs? Like, would you create stat blocks? Would you just kind of come up with character um, personalities and intellects? I, I would just come up with personalities, uh, traits like that, like personality traits. Um, and, of course, I, I made my own uh, 100 traits for NPCs that I use when I want to do random things like that. Um, that's something else maybe we can put a link to below. Um, what I would do is keep it short. And that's what I, I mean. Because later on, whenever we're assigning stats to things, then we're thinking about the level of our encounters. And we're thinking about the, the PCs. So I never think of statistics in-game statistics as world building at all like not even a little bit that's a later thing if you start doing that stuff now you've just set yourself up for so much work in the beginning it's unbelievable mm -hmm. later on you can come back to these npcs if you create uh let's say about a dozen npcs in this one town and you've got two to three sentences, a couple of little um, quirks about them, who they are, what they do, and the relationship to each other. And then later on, you, you create an adventure, and you want to uh, center it in this town. And you say, okay, I want to start at third level. Now you know, well, how powerful is Bob the tavern owner compared to the adventurers? Now you make those decisions when you're actually creating the... Um, the, the the adventure okay and you you may not even need stat blocks for most of them and that might be something you eventually do but not right now because okay. you you may even drop people out and say oh you know what bob the tavern owner doesn't fit in this town i just take him out and then you don't even worry about him and you haven't wasted any time or you put him somewhere else um, but you haven't wasted any time doing more than what you needed to don't ever do more than what you need to do and at this point we're just kind of creating a story sometimes and this is something i find regularly those stories start to create themselves if you got some neat ideas that you've come up and at different times or um in different ways and you just start adding them to this town you can get some really neat effects and it's like well now i realize i put this guy who's a like a master mason in this town i didn't even think about that before he might have his own faction and that faction may change the way other factions look at one another uh, so that's a good point so the story begins to write itself if you um if you create interesting enough npcs interesting enough conflicts 
um, then certain questions start answering themselves. Okay. So maybe I should start with the NPCs first and then see if I can come into something interesting with those NPCs and then build the conflicts after that. You absolutely can or vice versa. Um, sometimes creating conflicts demands certain types of NPCs. So it just depends how you want it to how you want it to flow and there's no right or wrong answer there. Um, as long as you come up with some conflicts that make this feel like a living and breathing world and some NPCs that the characters are going to get a chance to interact with, I think you're going to be good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the D&D 420 podcast. For everything D&D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at D&D 420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.